Hello everyone and welcome. You're listening to the Baby Sleep Sessions. I'm your host, Donna Mawala from Bump to Sleep. I'm a certified paediatric sleep specialist, working with expectant parents, newborns, infants, toddlers and children up to seven years of age all around the world. On this week's episode, I'm really excited to introduce to you Vicky Pello. She is a young cancer survivor. She is an advocacy coach. She does workshops here in Perth, but she also offers one-on-one support. Support for people not through just young survivors of cancer or survivors of cancer, but people that have gone through tough and challenging times, you know, life events where people need guidance through it and beyond it. She talks today, we're actually going to do it in two parts because there's so much to talk about. Part one will be her diagnosis at a young age with cancer and how that affected the possibility of her to become a mother, that she'd never really had to think about that. She was having fun and enjoying her life and then life got really real. So she talks about that and the journey through trying to conserve eggs and you know, just going through cancer as a young person, but also um, where she's ended up. So part one is today. I hope you enjoy. And part two will be coming next. Hi, Vicky, and welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us today here on Baby Sleep Sessions. Um, I have met you quite a few times. You live here in Perth. Love you. Mm-hmm. Love your energy. Um, mm-hmm. We took um, my Molly, our middle uh, child, to a um, teenage retreat where I really got to know you, which was fantastic, and got to hear your story, which is very interesting and why I wanted to share it with um, uh, the listeners. So um, really wanting you to share your incredible journey um, through as a cancer survivor and the challenges around becoming a mum. So I'd love to, hear, love to share all your stories with us, please. <laughs> sure. So many stories. <laughs> well, um, I guess uh, I'll start a few years ago when I was diagnosed. So I was 29. I'd been married for six months, found a lump in my neck, but I was a, you know, young, healthy 29-year-old and thought, well, you know, it's probably just glands or whatever. And I was a FIFO worker, so I needed to get back to work. And I just went to the doctor thinking, shit, I just need to get some medication to get back to work. You know, like as we do, we we, we never think anything's wrong. We've just got to get through and get on, right? Um, and so I did all that. And very long story short, I was diagnosed with stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma a month later. And it was yeah. a massive shock to everyone. Yeah. Um, and one of the hardest parts of young adult cancer, which it impacts all cancer, of course, but with particularly in the age bracket of young adults, is the fact that quite a lot of the treatment, so I was told that the treatment that I needed to save my life um, would leave me infertile. Oh, gee. Yeah. So it's a big, yes, cancer is obviously a very big shock to be on the receiving end of, but what yeah. I was more shocked about, if I'm, completely honest, is the the other impacts that that has. So for me, it was infertility. Yep. And I'd always wanted to be a mum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I, yeah. I'd never even considered that I wouldn't be. Yeah. It's sort of, I don't know, it would always, it's always just been part of my my dream, you know, yes. My, yes. my future dreams yes. and stuff. Yes. So, yeah, that was for me one of the hardest things about Diagnosed was that that fear of well, will I be left infertile after the chemotherapy mm-hmm. and because I was so advanced I didn't have time for IVF oh. um, I was put into escalated IVF which is called IVM um, what's the M stand for 
don't know. <laughs> I can't remember. Something more like, rapid than IVF. I think it might be something to do with in vitro, maybe maturity, because okay. it's essentially escalated IVF. Yeah, it's oh, IVF in a week or two oh, weeks. Oh, really? Oh, gosh. Okay. Yeah, so they take the infertile eggs from you and then they fertilise them externally. So they use wow. cultures of your blood. And it's, a, it's amazing what they can do. Don't and they fertilise, obviously, with your husband's sperm? Yep. Okay, right, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. But they grow the eggs to maturity outside of you because you don't have time wow. to get to maturity inside of you. So holy it's holy. fascinating what they can do. <laughs> and amazing that they can even do that. Wouldn't even have heard of that. That's amazing. Yeah, it's still well in those days. So that was four years ago. It was a very um, new procedure. It wasn't offered oh. everywhere. There was only one place in Perth I could go. Wow. It wasn't covered on any of my insurance, so it cost us our entire life savings. Oh, um, which is, as well, isn't it? Yeah, it's another side of cancer, unfortunately, which is financial toxicity, which isn't yeah. talked about outside of the community, but it is. It's massive. Even in Australia where we are very fortunate to have a public system that are, you know, are phenomenal. Yeah. The, my oncology team were phenomenal after, yeah. after my private diagnosis. So I went private for all my diagnostics and then I went public yeah. and the public team were phenomenal. All my chemo was covered. So I'm yeah. eternally grateful for that. As I know elsewhere in the world, that's not the case. No, no. But, yeah, the other... The other impacts of cancer, so the fertility treatment, the finances, the career, the all those sorts of things, they aren't covered. So it's it's world changing oh in so God. many ways. And if you're going to survive or not. You know, yeah, absolutely. You are you are faced with your mortality um, and the unknown of your mortality as well. You have to come to terms with that. And whilst you're coming to terms with that. Treatment is about survival. You do go into survival mode. I don't know if you've heard me talk about chemo brain, where your brain no. it essentially shuts, shuts down. down in a way that it protects you. It's a stress yeah. response. So you can't remember things. You yeah. are yeah. effectively on mental pause yeah. while you go into survival mode. And it's great. It works really well. <laughs> Although I've heard that and I've, I've yeah, witnessed that with um, other traumas. Yeah. Yeah. I remember. I definitely think there would, I mean, I'm not a scientist. I don't have any kind of research or backing for this, but I definitely think it is yeah. um, a phenomenon that happens elsewhere outside of the chemo world as well because yeah. you go into that survival where your brain yeah. goes, okay, oh. we just need to focus on living right now. You can yeah. focus on everything else later. Pause, yeah. which is great while you're in it. Can't remember the words for things. I used to call yes. everything in the kitchen a tea towel. Still do. <laughs> Can't remember the name of anything. That thing over there. Yeah, but... Yeah, and then what happens afterwards is if you're, I was incredibly grateful and fortunate to be declared in remission five months later after my right. diagnosis, which wow. was phenomenal. Yeah. And, and remission? Because um, remission means there's just no cancer in, they can't find any cancer, and then you, you have to go regular checkups. What, what does that so mean? Remission means different, and this is another oh, thing okay. I, had, I had no idea of oh, until I, I was know, in that's it. I'm like, yeah, totally. And I'm always happy to share because there's so much information out there that you might see on TV or in movies or whatever. And it's they use one word for everything. Like they say yeah. chemo and you go, yeah. okay, that's, yeah. a, that's a one thing. Yeah. No. So many different types of chemo, oh. so many different drugs. Yeah. Like the spectrum is huge. So remission for me, for my particular stage and type of cancer was no evidence of disease. So they do a thing called a PET scan and they can't find any evidence of disease. Okay. On my okay. bloods, there's no markers, which awesome. means 
they can't see any anything right. anymore. So that's what remission means for yep. me and my particular type. Okay. Remission for different types of cancer can mean it's non, they're still living with cancer. So it's okay. incurable, yep. but it's at a stage where it is stable, yep. not growing, depends. It's, it is yep. really a very big variation we've yep. seen. But for me, it meant that there was no evidence. I had to go back every three months for all yep. my updates. And yep. then the further out you get, you go less often. So I've, got, I've actually got one in two weeks. And I was like, oh, okay. God, yeah. has it been six months already? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll go back. <laughs> that's good that they're on, you know, you've constantly been checked though. Yes. So that's one of the good sides, I guess, in survivorship. But it's also when you come out of treatment, you've been literally scanned, checked and recorded and regimented and appointmented yeah. for your life for the last few months. And then they say, you're good, come back in three months. And you're like, what? No one's going to check me for three months? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, you have to get your head around that side of things as well. But, yeah, I'm very grateful that I have a phenomenal oncology team. And, yeah, touch wood, my bloods have been good ever since, so that's good. Good, great, fantastic, which is amazing. So, so, yeah, getting back to the IVM, Mm -hmm. so they did that and they grew the eggs and fertilised them out, which is Mm -hmm. amazing. And then, obviously, you went through all your chemo and... um, remission which is amazing so four years ago so you look and look look amazing as well I feel great I'm sure um so yeah so then let's talk about the miracle that is your little baby yeah yes let's talk about that my little miracle baby bird (laughs) (laughs) so yeah after remission the biggest question in my mind was well there were two what the hell do I do now yeah um how the hell do I start living again where do I even start when everything I know about my life has been completely blown to smithereens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. but the biggest question on my mind was my fertility, what's happened to my fertility. So I did, as we said, IBM. I had Zolodex implants to try and help as well. So I did everything within what's my that? power. Sorry to ask so many questions. What's that, hormones? No, no, no. So Zolodex are um, an implant that yep. you have you have it in your stomach yep. and it essentially puts your ovaries to sleep. Okay. Right. So chemo goes to fast replicating cells, yep. which is why your hair falls out and you... Your nails fall off, actually, which is a good one. No one knows. Yeah, because they're fast-growing cells. Wow. And um, your ovaries are one of those as well, which is unfortunately why the infertility happens because chemo thinks, oh, cancer. It's not. So Zolodex essentially put my ovaries to sleep. Okay. And then so that was the biggest thing on my mind was, well, did it work? Yeah. Am I infertile? What's what's left? Yeah. And I remember... I had a fantastic GP at the time. God, she was amazing. Yeah. I've never had a fantastic GP Aww. before. And I was just like, she was phenomenal. Awesome, awesome. And I went to see her and obviously she knew all about my treatment and what yeah. was going through and everything. And then I um, had my egg reserves tested. So AMH, the anti-malarial hormone, I think that is. And they said there was negligible eggs. Oh, I was, none. Gone. Yeah, none. Gone. So I was technically... And negligible they couldn't they couldn't find any eggs based on that particular test wow. and I was gutted <laughs> like oh I felt God. like I'd been told all over again oh my I, God. of course it was one of the hardest things in the sense that they said you can still try for IVF if you want mm-hmm. but your your chances are incredibly low based on this particular level mm-hmm. 
So at that point, I'd, I'd done a lot of work myself on my mental space. Yeah. And I had decided, so basically my husband and I went away and decided, did we want to go straight into IVF? And I had friends and family who said, you know, don't wait. If there's already nothing there, you know, go, go, go. Oh. Um, and I understand that side yeah. of things too, of course, but we made the decision that there'd been a lot in the last six months, 12 months. And like to go through IVF after you've just come off chemo as well. Yeah, there was a lot still. I couldn't try anyway because the chemo still is in your right. body for 12 months. Okay. So I had to wait another six months before trying anyway. Yeah. And then we were due to go on belated honeymoon in March, so that would have yeah. been nine months. Yeah. And we just made the decision that we'd just go on honeymoon and when we got back, we'd then reassess. We just needed a bit of a break from the medical system yeah. and everything, really, yeah. to be honest, and to yeah, start cool. to rebuild. Life, yeah, <laughs> husband and wife. Yeah. So we did that. And then, um, yeah, when we came back, I was due to fly back to work because I was still working FIFO at that point. I was due to fly back to work two days after we flew back from honeymoon and I thought, oh, I'll just do a test. You never know. <gasps> And I was pregnant. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. oh, that's giving me goosebumps. That little, that little miracle oh, baby. God oh knows where God. she came from, but she one found little, us and she chose us. One little leg somewhere and some spermies and absolutely. Like oh. I don't know where she was hiding. She did oh not show up on any tests. <laughs> that is like the most of. I've never heard that story. That's amazing. Yeah, she's um. She's pretty special, and that's why I call her my little miracle baby bird. Oh, she, she so is. Yeah, she really is. She's oh, a beautiful story. Well, you know, awful story, but a beautiful story. No, nah, and that's that's why I share it. Like, she is hope. She yeah. is hope that you can be told the worst yeah. news of your life, and it was for me. Yeah, that was it. That was yeah. that was worse for me than being told I had cancer. And people are like, "Whoa!" Yeah, I think <laughs> I was, it was. the same. Like I, like you said, I just always thought I was going to be a mum. Like always. Yeah. Like it was just a non, you know. So to imagine if that I didn't have to go through any of those uh, feelings, but um, I understand that. Yeah, as you would it's know. Yeah. Oh, well, that's an amazing story. And here she is, Earth side and living life. Absolutely, she is living life to the large. <laughs> yeah, the cutest thing ever. Cutest, cutest, cutest. So that is an incredible story. And like you said, hope, that's a beautiful thing for, for people that there's always hope. Don't give up. Just don't give up, which is huge, huge. So, um, and you had a great pregnancy and everything was quite normal with all of that? Yep. So I was uh, tested and monitored yep. from my oncology team and obviously my um, maternal team as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and, yeah, completely, I use the term loosely, regular pregnancy, yeah, yeah, whatever that yeah. looks like. Yeah, I don't know, yeah, but you, it, yeah. It was uneventful. Uneventful, yeah. So I was very fortunate with that. I still flew, so I still worked FIFO until I was eight months pregnant. Wow. <laughs> so there's some quite hilarious pictures of me looking like a fifth member of the Teletubbies in my onesie. Oh. But it was brilliant. <laughs> oh, so good. You just got back into life. Yeah, I mean, I, I flew back to work two weeks after I was in remission and I was still yeah. bald and sticking on eyelashes. Yeah. But for me, well, one, I was a contractor, so when I didn't work, I didn't get paid. So that comes into the life-changing stuff again. And two, I was fortunate enough that they kept my job open and I wanted to go back to something I something I knew, something yeah. tangible that was what I knew. Yeah. 
but also with people who knew me and people I didn't need to explain who I was because I didn't know who I was, but they yes. knew yep. roughly who I was before I was a completely yes. different person by that point. But they had, you know, a baseline to work they knew. with. <laughs> yeah, they knew. Go back to me. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. Incredible so, yeah. story. Um, and the other thing that we were talking about that you, you're really quite happy to share, which I think is brilliant, is that you went through all of that and um, a cancer survivor and had the miracle of bird. And... Um, that's her nickname, by the way, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very cute name. Um, and then talking about how um, once she was here, um, you ended up suffering from postnatal depression. So um, yeah. I'd love you to share that story if you're open to do that. That'd be great as well. Yeah, of course. No, I am a very open book about that because as I've we've talked about through that, this podcast, you know, Bird was my absolute miracle dream baby yeah. who I didn't think I was going to have and then yeah. I did. And I can honestly tell you that there are two days in my life where I've never been happier and one was remission and one was finding out I was pregnant with her. <laughs> it was, oh, and my wedding, sorry, three days. Wedding? <laughs> and when you were born, four. Yeah, and that was it. <laughs> a few days. A few days. That's the context of this podcast we'll talk about. <laughs> That's right, yes. <laughs> but, yeah, um, yeah, so then when she was born and it was, you know, everything that you, you'd hoped for in that respect, but... There was something that made in my head went, hang on, something's not right here. You're mm. alive and you have a baby. You were told you had to choose one or the other. So my brain at that point, and obviously going through childbirth, oh. is a massive experience in itself. Being mental, mental, physical, right. emotional, spiritual, everything involved. Yeah. yeah. And then my brain just went, hang on. We know that you've got to look after this baby. We appreciate that you have got really strong maternal instincts and you will yes. feel and protect this baby with your life, but she can't possibly be yours because you're alive. Yeah. And that... That you're probably, right. Yeah, and it was a really strange feeling. And I was only able to sort of put words to that a little bit later, you know, obviously yeah. in that first sort in of... In that sense. Yeah, you just sort of in such a a fuzzy whirlwind that you kind of think, oh, God, what the hell's going on? I don't know if this is normal. I don't know what I'm thinking, all these sorts of things. But later on, when I started to piece together some of the puzzle, I was a bit like, yeah, that's that's where the disconnect came in. And I kept thinking, oh, that overwhelming love that you feel and you know that that baby is yours, that will come, that will come. You're just tired. You're just emotional. You know, like, it'll come, it'll come. And it kept going and it kept going. Oh, you're just tired. Breastfeeding is just hard. You know, all these sorts of things that you kind of normalise in your own head because you don't know what normal is anymore. <laughs> and you go through the motions and you keep going and you keep going. And I kept going for a bloody long time. I saw a quote the other day and I wrote it down and it said, as an overachiever, I struggle to realise when I'm drowning because I can hold my breath for a really long time before yeah. gasping the air. And that, when I read that, I was like, that was me. So that you was me for months. So you holding my breath. Yep, holding your breath. Holding and my breath together on the outside, or reasonably, you know. Yeah, because which I, is a perfect example, which I think I probably near one hundred percent of mum yeah. that are suffering or and get into that postnatal. By the time they get there, they can't breathe. You know, yeah, like been holding their breath for all that time, and then you can't hold it any longer. Totally, and yeah. I, I'd got to that place where. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't justify anymore in my head that this will, this is just what happens to new mums. Yeah. This is just normal. Everybody, it's a really weird feeling where you feel like everybody must be feeling like this 
but also I'm the only one who feels like this. It's a really strange dichotomy that you kind of feel like, well, everyone must be struggling. Nobody's sleeping. Everyone's hormonal. Nobody can breastfeed, (laughs) you know, all these things. And at the same time, why am I the only one that feels like this? Really strange feelings. And, um, yeah, I got to the point, and, again, I fell through a lot of the cracks. I fell through a lot of the traditional cracks in the sense of um, support. So my mother's group didn't start until she was five months old. My um, child health nurse did the postnatal depression scale. Said, Yeah, you're showing signs, some real clear signs of quite high postnatal depression. Mm -hmm. Never followed up. You know, all these sorts of it's a catalogue of things. It's never one yeah. thing. It's no, it's never, never one thing. And the thing is when you, you know, really, you know, it's mental health. It's mental yeah. health. And that's where you, when you start, if you've never suffered from mental health or anxiety or anything like that, and, and particularly if you never have, and then you have postnatal, I don't know if that's your path, but, um, you know, then you go, what the what is this? Because my brain's thinking that. And so it's like if I said to you, your hair's blonde. And you went, no, you said to me, your hair's blonde. And I'm like, no. And you're like, no, it's blonde. Because, by the way, your hair's brown. Yeah. See you. Um, (laughs) But it's mental health. And and so you you just think that's your norm and your reality. But um, until you can actually uh, even um, verbalise that, like it's hard to use those words of how you're feeling, which you can now, now that she's older and stuff. But when you're in the thick of it, how do you actually say that to your husband or your parents or your friends, you know? And especially people, like you say, that was my reality. I had never suffered with depression. Mm-hmm. Even following my diagnosis, remission and survivorship was challenging. Like yeah. I definitely went through a lot of emotions, oh. but I was never clinically depressed through that stage. That's interesting in itself because I think people go down that path, oh, <clears throat> if you're already underlying health issues, mental health issues, but it's not the case actually. Postnatal no. <clears throat> depression does not give a shit. One of the things I am really passionate about putting out there is postnatal depression does not care if you have never had any underlying predisposition to anxiety or depression. It doesn't give a shit if you have worked for the last 10 years to get pregnant and then all of a sudden you have, or in my case, being told you're infertile this amazing miracle baby, the best feeling in my in my life, yeah. postnatal depression doesn't give a shit. It's not about that. It does not discriminate. And that is something that I feel is not talked about enough because there's this stigma around, well, everything was roses. Yeah. Why on earth are you feeling this way? To be thankful. Exactly, exactly. You know, why aren't you on top of the world? Why yeah. aren't you all these shoulds, woulds and coulds that, and don't get me wrong, they were going through my head just oh, as quick as they were. <laughs> But it's but again we get back to mental health. Take it away from postnatal depression. Yeah. Is that's what? Oh, you know, um, you should be happy you've got money, or you should be happy that you're healthy. Or you know, it doesn't um, like you said. Oh, it's um, a slippery slope, isn't it? But it's good to yeah. be able to talk about it so people go. Oh, maybe that actually that isn't the norm. I, I don't really have to be feeling that way. So that's incredible um, that you have obviously been able to talk about it now and, and understand it. What was your? Where was the catalyst? Like, um, was there some, where did you reach out to somebody or um, did you go to the doctor? Like, what was it was like the, the, the turning point of like, oh, okay, I need to speak to somebody or can you explain what you did with all of that? Yeah, sure. So I got to about uh, four and a half, four months, four and yep. a half months. And I'm from the UK. My husband's from New Zealand. Most of our family are overseas. We do have some family here, but most of them were coming in. So we had lots of visitors. We had yep. lots of 
people sort of things to do, yes. people to see, all that sort of stuff and people wanting to see the baby and all that jazz, which was great. And then it got down to sort of that was all trickling off a bit now. And my mum was over from the UK mm-hmm. and my mum obviously hadn't seen me for a while yeah. and had never seen me with a baby. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we, I just got to the point where I remember saying to her, I just, it shouldn't feel like this still. Like it yeah. shouldn't, I feel like there's something more to this. And I just couldn't get myself out of that hole. Yeah. And I, and she said to me, you know, you need to go and see the doctor. And I was going, I said, no, 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 it'll be better by next week. And I kept saying to yeah. myself, it'll be, be right. better by next yeah. week. Yeah. Oh, she just needs to, she just when she's older, she's just going through a leap. Oh, it's just when she's gone to sleep more, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. all those sort of things you say to yourself. Yeah. And then I got to the one day where I just, I couldn't get up. And I said, no, I'm, I'm just going to book an appointment and I'm going to go today. Yep. And my GP wasn't there. I remember talking about my angel yeah, GP. She one, wasn't yeah. there. So I booked the only appointment I could get. And I scared the living shit out of this guy. Because <laughs> it was not his area of expertise. Okay, yeah. And I walked in and I remember breaking down and saying to him, you know what, cancer was easier than this. Cancer and treatment, there's support coming out of your ears. Everyone is rallying around. Yeah. And I remember saying that to him. I remember saying. Did he go? "Mm." And he he was like, I'm just going to go and get someone up. (laughs) (laughs) I literally, I scared the shit out of him. And, and, you know, in his defence, he said, look, you know, I do believe that you are suffering with post-natural pregnancy, but I do want to get my colleague's expert opinion on this about what support services would be best for you. So, you know, I, I joke about the fact that he was terrified and he was, yeah. as was yeah. I, yeah. but he was doing the best for me in the sense that yeah. he went to get his colleague. That's great. And that's where it started. Yeah. I made the decision that I didn't want to go into medication right yeah. away. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and I started to go to, I went to a, a support group. I went to Nagala. You look at okay. Nagala. Yeah. Yeah. The sleep, yeah. Over here, sleep, sleep school, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went and had counselling, one-on-one counselling, and I was put into a mother's group. Finally, that made a big difference to me, having those connections. And I started to just take those steps to really acknowledge what was going on and ask for more help. And I'm always, I've always said this, and again, depression is different, Mm -hmm. but Asking for help is hard, but it's not a sign of weakness. Right. It's a supplement of strength. Yeah. And when I get my head into that space, I'm like, yes, yeah. that's where we need to be around help. Oh, it's not absolutely. a sign of weakness at all. It's a supplement of strength. Yeah. And then I could start looking for that help. So I did that for about, uh, it's probably about another four or five months. And I was still, I was feeling better. I yeah. was definitely feeling better, but I wasn't myself and that's when I made the decision to start taking medication as well mm-hmm. and that was not supported by a lot of my family and friends a lot of oh, my family and friends told me not to take the medication oh, really? yeah there's still a lot of stigma and misinformation around it there really is. I know. I mean, it doesn't need to be not at all it's a personal not- choice no, it's personal choice. And, look, I've been on and off medicated my whole life too and with anxiety and stuff like that, mm. and it's a game changer for me, you know. Yeah. I, but, I, but I'm very confident with who I am and I have done all the other things like you have, and it's just like a chemical thing. Sometimes totally. brains, chemicals aren't working the way they need to. That's all. Absolutely. So, and, 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 yeah, I, look, I'm not frightened to talk about that nor, yeah. um, you know, again, personal choice. But 
what I have found and with people I've watched and myself is it just helps when you're getting all the other support. You know, absolutely. Like, you can't just take medication and stay at home. You know, you have to get back into life or get that support group as well. But yeah, did you find, how did you find the medication once you started to take it? <laughs> yeah, so that for me, again, was that absolute dreamboat of a GP, Dr. Bev Tay. I'm just going to name her because she's. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where she's gone. She left the oh, breakfast. No. I've been longing for her ever since. Oh, I'm sure you're not meant to have that much longing for a GP, but she was. Oh, no, it's anyway. good. hard to find. <laughs> But she was, she was absolutely fantastic. And she really helped me through a lot of that. And at the end of the day, it was my decision based on the fact that I wanted just to supplement that support, supplement that strength. And I was still going through, um, so I go to regular Reiki, my Reiki therapist, and she's also like a mental coach as well. I was going to the support groups. I was having the counseling. I, uh, got a psych degree by trade so I am very aware of mental yes. health and yes. mental health yep. um, support system so I was definitely making use of everything I had available to myself and that was just part of my toolkit awesome. that was just one of the things that I chose yeah. to help support me through six months and I made the decision that I would do it for six months see how I felt I do it for 12 months, see how I felt. I didn't put an end game on it. Yeah. I just said to myself, it's what I need right now. Yeah. Awesome. And it made the difference for me in six, uh, gosh, I can't even remember how long I was on them for yeah. now. I yeah. think it was about six months, yeah. roughly, give or take. Right. But it was just that extra part of support yeah. that I needed to be able to facilitate the rest of that's my right. support as well. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be forever. And that's like, it's like mental health. It still has a stigma. It does. Yeah. You know, like you said, postnatal depression, um, you don't want to feel like you're weak. And that's where we put our own um, issues on ourselves. But um, the medication doesn't mean you have to be on it forever. That's, no. You know, like if, if you've done all that you've had done and you just need a little bit extra, then that's what worked for you. And then you, you've been able to go off them and, you know, with all you saying support yeah doing well and the irony for me was I was so and again this is the clarity of time that I can look back and say these things at the time I could not have verbalized half of this stuff but the clarity for me was the reason one of the reasons why I was so adamant about not going on medication is I was worried that it would stop all all my feelings like I wasn't feeling many things I was feeling you know numb a lot of the time and pretty shitty for the rest of the time yeah, yeah. and I was worried that it would numb me out even further so that I couldn't feel any because there were still some points of high as well there was still some I still felt love for my daughter like there was still that kind of regulation but the the highs were few and far between and the lows were very very regular yes, yes. so by taking the medication it just made me even <laughs> I think is the best way to put it it just made the lows less so that I could get more highs and then that to me was enough exactly it just helped and it, for me I believe that it was it was just regulating those hormones it was just that um SS I can't I can never remember the acronym SSR, the reuptake, SSR, yeah yeah the reuptake inhibitor yeah whichever one it was yeah. for me that was just the the little bit of support that I needed biologically in order to then move forward in other areas of my yeah. my recovery and I would do it again this is yeah. the thing so everyone's sort of- about it because um <clears throat> lots of people suffer from it and um yeah it's like you said it's a little snippet like a little window like it's like you know I think about 
I mean, look, I've been quite sick my whole life with other things like asthma and all sorts of things. Yeah. I've had to be heavily medicated with steroids and stuff like that. That's not the norm for other people. But I probably wouldn't be alive if I didn't have all of that when I was a kid, you know. Same with your chemo. Like, Absolutely. You know, that's a pretty intense drug that's had to be pumped through your body yep. to save what saved your life. Like I think um, these um, mental health medications, whatever you look at it, I wish there just wasn't the stigma on it. It's like, oh, you're feeling this way because of this way. That for this amount of time and then da-da, you know, people just don't do it. And I'm like, oh, <clears throat> but anyway. No, I totally hear what you're saying. There is still so much stigma and misinformation around it as well. Yeah. Mental health and, and particularly antidepressants aren't the same as they were 20 years ago. No. They are different. They yeah. are. There are so many different options now. There are so many yeah. different medications now. Absolutely. And it's about find. I believe it's honestly about finding the right GP, not necessarily even the oh, right percent And knowing you. So that's yeah. what I think through my life, the times I've had to take the medication and it would be that I'm doing everything external to, you know, I'm all into that healing staff, psychologist. I do everything. Yep. Trying to be the happy, as happy as I can. But if I've done that for six months and I'm still, then it's just it, when I've taken it and when I do take it, I'm currently on it with teenage girls, um, <laughs> is, is um, it just it makes it a bit, of, a bit of an even keel, I think. Yeah. It's just an extra support in your toolkit. Yep. That's yep. all it is. Absolutely. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming. You, This is going to be part one. I didn't say this at the beginning. So you've got so much to share. So this is our part one. Part two will be coming. Um, and we'll be talking about lots of exciting things there. So thanks so much for joining today. Thanks for having me. Great to talk to you. See you soon. Speak to you soon. So if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave me a rating and review on our podcast. I love reading all of your messages, so shoot me a DM over on Instagram. I am at bub2sleep, B-U-B, number two, sleep. I also offer a free 15-minute phone chat. If you'd like to book one, head over to my website, www.bub2sleep.com.au, and request one there. So try to remember to be kind to yourself and always know you're doing the best you can every day, no matter what your day's looking like. Until next time, much love.